Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Woman in the Way. My name is Brooke, and I'm super excited to be talking to you guys today, t- to you guys today about the next essential of the faith. So, if you recall from last week or from the last episode, that this new series is I'm calling the Essentials of the Faith, and we're going to be talking about the basics of Christianity and why it is so important to know the fundamentals of our faith and. Yeah, so I'm super excited for this week's episode, and I'm sorry if you can hear the tiniest, like, noises of thunder in the background. It's, of course, storming a little bit where I'm at. Very sad, but (laughs) it will be okay. So, this week, so last week or last episode, sorry, it really was, like, two weeks ago, but the last episode, we talked about the essentials of the faith. And the first one we talked about was who Christ is and his kingdom. I called it Christ and his kingdom is what I entitled the episode. And so we went over the very basics of who Jesus Christ is as the son of God, him being fully God and fully man, what he came to do on this earth to save us from sin and to save us from eternal hell. So we went over that. We went over Christ's kingdom, what it is. And this week is going to be, um, and I hit on it a bit last week too, and we've definitely talked about this on this podcast before, the idea of repentance and the idea of faith in Christ, but this episode is going to be on how do we enter into Christ's kingdom? What are the means by which we do that? So, I am very, very excited to bring y'all this episode. I'm it shouldn't be too long because I know y'all don't always have a lot of time to listen to a long podcast. So it's basically going to be on what is repentance, what is faith. So those are the two ways, the two means by which we enter Christ's kingdom. And so what are these words? What do they mean? And how do we enter into the kingdom of God? And so number one, repentance. So the scripture that I've referenced before, and I think I've referenced last episode too, but that I wanted to bring up with the word repentance and what does repentance mean. We've talked about on the podcast before, but just getting more into it. So it is Matthew 1, 17, the gospel. I'm so sorry. Not Matthew 1, 17. Matthew 4, 17 says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that ties together the last episode with the kingdom of God, what is Christ's kingdom, and what is repentance. So you can see in that verse that Jesus is equating the kingdom of heaven, that he's saying it's at hand because he is now on this earth. He is now preaching the gospel. And then we repent because of that. And so that is the segue verse that I am utilizing to go from the last episode to this episode. So repent. And so the Greek word is... And I'm sorry to any people that actually do know Greek. As I said before, I do not uh, know Greek. Sadly, I do plan on learning it sometime in the future. So I will probably mispronounce it. (laughs) little caveat there. So repentance in the Greek is the word metanoia, which means to change one's mind or purpose. And so so that's the definition, to change one's mind or purpose. And then the usage... Um, and this is all from BibleHop.com, which is what I use to um, look at the interlinear 
And that just means like looking at it verse in English and what it would mean in Hebrew or Greek. So it's a great website. But this is where I find a lot of this stuff. And so the usage of this word is to say like, I repent, change my mind. And this is one I really love to change the inner man, particularly with reference to acceptance of the will of God, repent. And so that's really what Jesus was getting at was he was saying is that repentance is changing the inner man, changing the inner self. It's not an outward adherence to the Jewish law. It's not outward morality and outward righteousness that Jesus was preaching. He was preaching that the inside of us would change, um, which is a, you, if you read through any of the gospels, you will um, definitely pick up on that theme. So that is what repentance is. It's a complete change. It's a change in one's mind. It's a change in one's heart. And this is what the HELPS word study says about the Greek word metanoia. So it says it's to think differently after, that it's a change of mind. And then literally it just means think differently afterwards. So after, which is a perfect definition because after we come to know Christ, after we truly hear and understand the gospel, what Jesus was preaching, that we are born sinners, born destined to hell because we have broken God's law and that we need a substitute, a sacrifice in our place. Um, and to Jesus's particular Jewish audience that you can't offer enough animal sacrifices to the priest and the priests off offer that on behalf of the people to God. You can't do that enough to be saved. You can't do that enough to be righteous. You can't have enough religious rituals and religious traditions to be righteous. You can't do that. You need me. You need someone, a substitute to die on behalf of you. Take on all. So Jesus took on all of our sins on the cross, died on the cross, rose again from the dead. Three days later, amazing, amazing story. The resurrection is essential to Orthodox Christianity to deny the resurrection is to deny the faith um, in essence and believe, turn from yourself turn to Christ. And so once you truly and fully understand that gospel, that it's giving um, fully of yourself, if you come to the end of yourself, I like um, John MacArthur kind of puts it that way, that you're coming to the end of yourself, to the end of your strength, and you're fully, uh, I'll say also surrendering to Christ. You're thinking, so I was a little bit of a tangent right there, but you're thinking differently afterwards. After you've heard the gospel, you don't just you don't just keep living and keep living in sin. You don't even think the same way anymore. You think differently after hearing what Christ has done for you on the cross. This is a radical change of mind, change of purpose, change of life. And that is how we enter into the gospel, enter into Christ's kingdom is not through anything that we could ever have done. No, we give our give up of ourselves. Um, Jesus says that we deny ourselves, take up our cross, a torture instrument, and we follow him. We turn from ourselves, turn from our sin, um, and we give our lives to Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we need to list out every individual sin we've ever done, because um, that would probably, that would fill thousands of books. <laughs> we sin every day, but it means it's, it's a turning and a transformation of your life. You're never going to stop sinning, but your life is going to be in a different tra trajectory. Now you're going to be on the narrow way. You're not going to desire sin anymore. And so that's kind of the idea behind 
the word repentance, why it's so important, why a lot of churches don't really preach it, sadly, anymore. But Jesus was very clear. Again, some of the first words out of his mouth um, in his ministry after being tempted in the wilderness is to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus was calling for an inner transformation of yourself, of your soul, to turn from your sin, turn from your old way, turn from your wickedness and turn to Christ. He says this in, again, Matthew. That's not Matthew 4, 12. I've been saying Matthew 4, 12 in Matthew 4, 17. He talks about repentance in Matthew 3, Matthew 11, Matthew 12, Mark 1, Mark 6, Luke 10. These are just all instances um, where the word repent is used. Luke 11, um, Luke 13, which is a great passage, again, where Jesus, where they're asking him, well, what about these tragedies that have happened to us? Or these people were sinners. Is that why they died in these tragedies? And Jesus says, no, but unless you repent, you will perish. So he brings it back on. It's in, even though these tragedies happen to these people, you are still responsible for your sin. You are not any better. These people didn't die because of their sin. It's just a tragedy, the cause of this evil world. But you still have to repent. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And I mean, I could go through the whole New Testament. I could go through a lot of the Gospels and bring up repentance because that is essential to the kingdom of God. And I also want to make a clear point too, that the beginning of the Christian life, the beginning of conversion, the beginning of turning to Jesus Christ is repentance, but repentance is the Christian life. You don't, you don't stop repenting. It's not like as South Paul Washer <laughs> describes it, but it's not like you take your conversion shot. You repent once, you have put your faith in Christ once, and then you're done for the rest of your life. No, your life is a continually, continual everyday repentance, a continual faith in Christ that every day you repent, every day you say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust in your sacrifice and your resurrection for me. Repentance is the life of the Christian. You'll be continually growing and the Lord will continually convict you of sins as you grow closer to him. So I do want to make that very clear is that repentance is the, the daily walk. It should be part of the daily walk of the Christian. It's not just um, a one-time thing that we do. God will always continu continually be convicting you of sin and bring you closer to himself, thus causing you to repent of your old ways. Um, but um, repent again, so repentance isn't a one-time thing, but it is you will continually grow in holiness um, as you grow as a Christian. So that being said, the second repentance kind of being talked about instead of talked about a lot to another past podcast about it's a total transformation of yourself, a total turning. Um, the second word that is used a lot in our culture that most people have heard is the word faith. And before going any further, and I can't, remember the exact person who has said this which is sad um oh I feel really bad I can't remember the exact person but I know this is a common phrase in Christianity and Christian circles and Christian churches is that repentance and faith are the same side of a coin they both go together they are essential 
in the Christian life essential for conversion. So what is faith? I have a quote for y'all that I'm going to read from R.C. Sproul what faith is, but first I want to make it very clear that faith in Christianity is not just a blind faith trusting. It's not just this blind general faith in some type of outside influence and some type of deity. That's not what faith is in Christianity. Faith in the Greek um, is the word pistis. And I know I'm saying that wrong, <laughs> but it means faith and faithfulness or the usage of it can also be faith, belief, trust, confidence, fidelity, and faithfulness. Um, this is what the helps word study says about faith. It says faith and pistis is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced very important by people. In short, pistis, sorry for mispronouncing, faith for the believer is God's divine persuasion and therefore distinct from human belief, confidence, yet involving it, the Lord continuously births faith in the yielded believer so they can know what he prefers, i.e. the persuasion of his will. Another word study of faith from Bible Hub says that pistis in secular antiquity referred to a guarantee. In scripture, faith is God's warranty, certifying that the revelation he and birth will come to pass. And then it's also a lot more uh, meanings of faith. It's called to be a measure of faith. Faith can be collective, individual, always amazing stuff. And then this is what R.C. Sproul has to say about faith in his book, um, What is Reformed Theology, which is a great book. I'm halfway through it right now in his chapter, Committed to Faith Alone. He says that faith has an object. It is not empty or faith in nothing. Christianity rejects the maxim. It doesn't matter what you believe if only you are sincere. Though sincerity is a virtue, it is possible to be sincerely wrong and to put your faith in something or someone that cannot save. People can sincerely worship or have faith in idols. Such faith is repugnant to God and cannot save. Certain information must be known, understood, and believed in order to have saving faith. For example, we must believe in God and in the person and work of Jesus to be saved. This is the data of faith. Without belief in the essentials of Christianity, saving faith is absent. And then he also goes on to say, which I think is very important when we talk about faith, is that, so quote, this is what he says, I was quoting that as well, sorry I didn't say quote, but quote, in addition to this data or content, one must always assent mentally to the truth of this information. Saving faith gives intellectual assent to the truth of Christ's deity, atonement, resurrection, and so forth. We do not believe in what we believe to be a myth. If we reject the truth claims of the gospel, we cannot be justified. And then going on, almost done. The presence of both notia, so the content of saving faith, and then assent, ascensus, which is the um, assenting mentally, he's, so Sproul says, is still insufficient for justification. Even the devil has these elements. Satan is aware of the data of the gospel and is most certain of their truth than we are. Yet he hates and despises the truth of Christ. He will not rely on Christ or his righteousness because he is the enemy of Christ. The elements of Nishia and Ascensus are necessary conditions for justification. We cannot, so justification is how we are made right with God. We cannot be justified without them, but they are not sufficient con conditions. A third element must be present before we possess the faith that justifies. And so what is the third element? So obviously we have to intellectually know what 
faith intellectually know who Christ is, what he has done. We have to know the gospel. He has died. He's resurrected from the grave. We have to know this. We have to know that he is God. So Sproul is saying and that we also have to assent to this mentally and believe it. But there's another part of faith that is essential to Christianity. And this is the last paragraph. I'm going to read from Sproul's book. This is what he says. This element, so talking about this third element, is fiducia, a personal trust and reliance on Christ and on him alone for one's justification. Fiducia also involves the affections. Very important quote right here. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the believer sees, embraces, and acquiesces in the sweetness and loveliness of Christ. Saving faith loves, this is so important, the object of our faith, Jesus himself. This element is so crucial to the to the debate over justification. If a sinner relies on his own works or on a combination of his righteousness and that of Christ, then he is not trusting in the gospel. So I just love so much what Sproul has to say about faith there, that he brings in both sides of faith. That faith is, um, is, tr- is com- this complete trust and this personal reliance on something, on someone, in Christianity, that someone is Jesus. We completely trust him. We love him. Our eyes are opened to his beauty, to his glory. And it also is the intellectual assent to who Christ is, to what the Bible says about him. But it's neither one or the other. It is both. If someone is truly a Christian, if someone truly has saving faith. And I love so much. Sorry, that's kind of repeating myself right here, but I love how he describes that third one, the fiducia, that loving, trusting, personal reliance that is really what faith is. That's really what faith in the Bible is described to be. It's what the word pistis um, really hits on, that, that it can be used as a belief and trust and confidence Because faith is, again, it's not just this blind belief or feeling. It's a trust in someone. It's a trust in Christ. It's a a trust in who Christ is. Um, A great example that I've heard recently is if you are going out and ice skating, right? Or you're at the skating rink. Or not ice skating rink. I don't know if they call it a rink. I'm not a big ice skater. But so if you're going ice skating, Let's say there's two people. There's the guy that's like amazing at ice skating. He's been an ice skater his whole life and he's doing all these amazing tricks in the middle um, of the ice. And then there's a guy just going around the edge because he's scared he's going to fall um, and crack the ice or something. You know what I'm saying? Um, this, the, the, these guys, what they're trusting in when they go out on that rink isn't themselves. Even the guy that's just hanging on to the edge What's keeping him up is the ice. That's what his trust should be in, is that ice. Or I have also another great example, is that if you're sitting in a chair, your trust that it's not going to break is the trustworthiness that you have in the chair, that you know this chair was made well. That's how you know you're not going to fall right when you sit in the chair. The chair is not just going to fall through. is because you have a trust not in yourself, but there's an object of your trust. There's an object of your faith. And what is that object? Well, as I've said in this podcast, is that that object is Christ. In Christianity, in true Christianity, that object 
is Christ. That's what faith is in Christianity. Again, it's not a blind feeling or this mysticism that we have inside of us. A lot of people have faith. We have faith as I hope I've showed you guys in those two little examples that we have faith in a lot of things. We have faith that our car is going to run when we turn it on. We have faith that when we, um, if we have running water, we have faith that when we turn on that faucet, it's going to turn on. We have faith in a lot of things. And then what the Christian response, the Christian uh, plea is that, well, you can have faith in Christ. Have faith in him and what he did for you and dying on the cross in his resurrection. That I keep bringing up the you know, I don't have time to go into all, but we, there's a lot of historical evidence that, you know, Christ really did exist. There's evidence for the resurrection. There's a lot of evidence for the canon of the Bible. Um, but that's what faith is in Christianity. It's, yes, it is the mental acknowledgement of Christ and who he is. And then it's the personal trust and love of Jesus Christ. And then we bring that along with repentance, turning from ourself turning from sin to Christ. And we have that with the faith and love in him. They go together. They're the same side of the same coin. And that is how we enter into Christ's kingdom. So that's kind of what I have for you guys today. Um, repentance, metanoia, bleh, sorry, not great at Greek, is metanoia. And then um, faith, and the Greek is the word pistis, which is that is the word used in the New Testament to describe faith. And the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. He's the one that holds us up. We don't trust in ourselves; We trust in him to save us. And then when we do that, he gives us his righteousness. He So it's the great exchange. He takes all of our sin. He gives us his perfect righteousness. We can't earn it. We can do nothing. We have to come to the end of ourself, surrender everything to him. It's an, and of course, it's this daily repentance, this daily walk with Christ. And we have faith in him. We have faith in who he is as God, fully God and fully man. And we have faith in his work on the cross for us. That it's complete. It's total. It's final. We don't have to keep having that grace be infused into us. No, that grace is completely imputed to us when we become a Christian. And so, y'all, yeah, repentance and faith, um, how we enter into Christ's kingdom. And so I want to leave you guys with this passage in the book of Titus um, that goes along with what, I, what I've been saying in this episode, but it's just a beautiful passage explaining the gospel. So this is what Titus 3, Titus 3, verses 3 through 8 says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness, and so I want to stop right there. So that's who we were before Christ. That is our natural state as sinners. And we are slaves to sin. We can't make ourselves come alive. This is why, again, the idea that we can work our way to God is so faulty. The idea that by our religion, by our religious acts, that we can be right with God is so faulty because we are slaves to our sin. And then Paul goes on to say in Titus, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior 
so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works, because Christ has saved them. That's, I'm adding that in there. <laughs> these things are excellent and profitable for people. So, love that passage. Just wanted to end this episode with the hope of the gospel, that we used to be slaves to our sinful passions, but Christ has saved us because of his kindness. He's poured out his grace on us, um, and we can be saved. We can be renewed, transformed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, his son, in our lives. And yeah, I love y'all, and thank you guys for listening to this week's podcast. Can't wait for next episode.